Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Capital Club Radio. Brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance. Please welcome your host, Chairman and CEO, Michael Flock. Good afternoon from Atlanta. Today we are excited to have an experienced and colorful leader in the world of collection law. None other than Bill Sturm, son of the founder. He has been with Rausch, Sturm, Israel, Enerson, and Hornick for over 25 years. Bill started at the bottom of the company, putting away files, and has worked in every department after that. He earned his way to the top, became executive director, and now is chief operating officer. He has overseen the firm's operations for the last 10 years. Bill is also a strategic partner of Galaxy, both a leading debt buyer and master servicer in our industry. He's very active in the industry, of course, of collection law firms and debt buyers. He's been honored as a speaker at the National Creditors Bar Association. He founded the Collection Managers Education Track for National Creditors Bar Association and served as chair for six years. Welcome, Bill. Well, Michael, thank you so much. What an honor to be here with you. Well, you know, very few of us plan to get into collections. You don't go to school and say, I want to be collections. That's my, I want to be a collector or a collection manager. Um, so everybody wants to know how people get into, you know, this kind of work where, and many say it's not God's work. Um, but Bill, tell us, you know, how you plan to get into collections. Well, Michael, I was I was really born into it. So my grandfather was an attorney. And when my father graduated law school in 1966, as his graduation present, uh, my grandfather gave him one free month worth of rent at his law firm, along with a client. And the client happened to be a collection agency. And that's how he really started his creditors' rights practice. So from 66 to 77, whatever your problem was, he was your solution. And in 77, he incorporated the law firm, really focusing in, focusing in on creditors' rights. And that's when I was born. And so, in fact, when I was born, uh, back in those days, you would share a hospital room with another couple. So I'm born. I'm there with my mother. My dad comes in, and he's visiting with us. And as he's doing so, there's just a current between them and the people next to him. And he can hear him talking. And it turns out that my dad had just sued that couple for an unpaid bill. And so as he's listening to this husband and wife talk about this lawsuit from this Sturm guy, back in that day, they used to put your name on the side of the cribs. And my dad slowly took um, our last name off the crib, put it into his pocket, and told my mom he'd be right back as he went to go talk to the nurse about getting uh, my mom and I moved to a different room. (laughs) So that was your first interaction with a, <laughs> a consumer debtor? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and then from there, um, it, maybe it's growing up in the Midwest, but we were expected to work at the firm. Uh-huh. So when I was in grade school, I knew my alphabet. I knew how to come to 10. Right. So back then we had files. And so every time it snowed and the schools were closed, my dad was bringing me to work. So I watched my friends go outside and I was off to the office to go put files away or uh-huh. find files in attorney's office. Uh-huh. Well, I hope he at least paid you the minimum wage, right? <laughs> I guarantee you he did not. He did not? No, it was part of the pleasure <laughs> of, uh, you know, providing a house, clothing, food, all that good stuff. So you were an intern. 
I was very much unpaid. I don't think I started getting paid till I was in about sixth or seventh grade. Okay. And then that was fairly underneath the minimum wage. So you're a son of a founder. What is that like? Is it hard working for your dad and having him get all the credit for everything and, you know, having to follow his instructions every day? I, I personally believe it is hard being a founder's son because the first thing is you're the example, right? So they're, they're looking at you and they're judging your father or your mother over your work ethic. And so that became very apparent. What also became very apparent is they're telling you stuff in the hopes that it will get back to your father. Uh-huh. So you got to learn how to filter information of, okay. Because you, you from other employees. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to be the go-to uh, where they want to have you communicate with your father over whatever their issue. Right. Was. Um, I quickly learned uh, that my father expected a lot out of me. My father probably worked 70 hours a week, um, typically till nine o'clock. Right. He worked every Saturday. And so after I graduated college and I was working for him, he put me on salary. And at one point he grabbed me and he said, Bill, I put you on salary, not for you to work 40 hours. I'm expecting a lot more out of you. <laughs> and, and so he taught me along the way that in order to be successful, right. whatever you do. Eight hours a day wasn't worth it. Eight hours isn't yeah. even close. Yeah. So he expected not only that you were there way more than eight hours, but um, I worked every Saturday for a long time with him. So one of his, I guess, principles in life and in business is just hard work. And that gets you, you know, what is that, 80% of success in his mind or what? Yeah, so for my father, um, you know, it was kind of interesting. So one of his good friends was Al McGuire, uh, coach of uh, Marquette University. Right. Uh, Obviously... um, (laughs) won the championship for Marquette in 77. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Al and him would have these conversations about actually the reverse. And 90% of it is your mental toughness and your mental attitude. Okay. 10% is actually then doing the work. Okay. And so my father taught me a lot about having a mental toughness of whatever you're going through. And in the fact that if you can control your fear and whatever else is racing through your mind, you can push forward into these uncomfortable situations uh, as you grow as a human being. So mental toughness, I guess, both personally and professionally. Absolutely. And I give my father a lot of credit. I would tell you my mother is as equally as credited for my upbringing. She was a psychologist. Um, she, she worked with mental patients to, um, she taught clinicals. And so I remember clearly my mom coming home one day where uh, they had lost a baby uh, in the OB unit that she was working in. Mm-hmm. And I saw her going through that grief and just bringing work home with you and how it affects you and how to deal with it in a positive way. What, did she have a formula for how to do that? I mean, it sounds nice, but how, how, do you, how do you teach people to deal with their adversity in a positive way? Um, so for her, she had this magic formula. It's called, I feel I need, I want. I feel I need, I want. Yes. And so if we ever wanted, uh, money as a kid growing up, as long as we used her formula with my father, she would make him give us money, which was fantastic. Uh, especially if you didn't get a chance to get into the office that we can work. Um, but really as a psychologist, she would really go after 
What are you thinking? Because those thoughts are really generating your feelings. So if you're feeling fearful, what thought is causing that? Because that's now going to drive your actions. And I use uh, that a lot now as a business owner. Right. As you're worried about everything that happens within a business. Uh-huh. I think every business owner really cares and cares for that business like a child. Right. So when you go through stress, your mother would say, think about it. Think about what, a positive outcome? Well, what are those thoughts that are causing the stress? Right. Right. So for me. Fear of failure? Yeah. Well, and then as you kind of run that through. So you're a failure, so you're going to lose the business. Mm-hmm. And if you lose the business, you're going to lose your house. If you lose your house, you're going to lose your family. Your identity, your self-esteem. And pretty much you're living in a tent. Uh-huh. And you're so, prisoner of yourself. Yes. And so she's like, so you're going to be living in a tent because you had a bad month or mm-hmm. a bad quarter? Right. Really? Right. Uh, so it, she gave us the ability to really examine what you're thinking. Exciting. And your, and your dad applied that to business and taught you to use that mental toughness. Is that with collect as, as a collector or is that totally, totally different kind of toughness? Well, I think it's in anything that you're doing. So whether you're collecting a past due receivable right. or dealing with an employee, dealing with a client, whatever the situation is, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think you need to apply that where, as you said earlier, it's not your ego. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, ego can be a dangerous thing. It very well can be. In fact, now I remember the other book that we were talking about earlier by Ryan Holiday is Ego is the Enemy. Absolutely. Yeah, and that gets to the whole thing about mental toughness and your thoughts really drive your actions. So anyway, so as you were working for your dad, um, did he have a vision, a strategy, or was he more practical, opportunistic as he led Roush Sturm? I would say him and his partner, Scott Israel, were very practical. Uh, They were very conservative. In fact, in 2001, we were approached by a client and asked to go into an additional state. At the time, it was Michigan. So that would have been our second state. And uh, Greg Anderson and I went to my father and his partner and asked them, and they said no. Uh, But being younger guys, we didn't let that no stay. Uh We continued to uh, pester them for the next year. In 2002, we got them to agree to finally open a second office in Michigan. And that became really successful for us. So much so, they allowed us to open up our third office, which was in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And they saw the success of that. And from there, the firm's footprint just grew. So it was more geographic oriented, or was it also driven by regulation? Those states that had maybe looser regulations, they were more attracted to. Although, was it also geographic because they were based in Milwaukee and it was easier just to get to Minnesota? Or what what drove the decision making on expansion, I guess, is where I'm going. Yep. So uh, the way that our firm focused on expansion wasn't so much uh, the state laws or the regulation, but it was really driven by the clients. So in the states that we've grown into, all of them have been organic except for one. So in each state, if we had enough clients ask us to go into that state, we went Okay. regardless of what the makeup was of the state. Okay. So it was more opportunistic then. You were waiting to be invited in as opposed to saying, okay, we want Minnesota, we want Illinois. Okay. Correct. Right. Okay. And as you um, 
look at portfolios then today, is it, I mean, and, and you, you have your own geography. Are you driven more by opportunistic opportunities or also by the level of regulatory barriers to your success in a collection law firm? So in my opinion, the regulatory barriers are pretty much even. Obviously, as of late, you have New York and California that are, quote unquote, becoming mini CFPBs. But in general, um, I think as you look at portfolio across all 50 states, it's really more opportunistic in terms of the type of debt, uh, where that debt's been, and what you think you can do with it. Mm-hmm. And I, that's how we approach each buy. Uh, there are some asset classes that we would stay away from. I'm not, we're not fans of the medical world and purchase medical. Um, I actually think student loans in the upcoming years are going to get very interesting. Uh, we, we more focus in on installment loans and credit cards. Okay. Back to working for your dad now. Uh, during this period when you worked for him, what were uh, some of your biggest successes and what were some of your failures uh, working for your father? I guess you really got going, what is it, 2000? That's really when you graduated from, you know, working as a student to working full-time as a, you know, as a part of a career, actually. So uh, actually, uh, we didn't have collectors in our law firm until about 95. Okay. So going through college, I was a bill collector. Right. Uh, And one of the things that I love about the way I was brought through the business is I had the opportunity to work in every department. And so as I graduated college, whether it was working in accounting or litigation and issuing lawsuits or following up on garnishments or calling the consumer and interacting with the consumer, uh, it really gave me a nice foundation as I became then uh, the executive director and today the COO of the firm. Right as I look at the different areas of the business and how files move through. So I guess if you worked in every function, you really understood, I guess, the functional requirements, the responsibilities, and what you're accountable for. So when you're now, I guess, COO, you know it maybe even better than some of your employees. You've been there. Uh, They love that. Yeah. You talk their language. I do. Um, And they'll hear stuff, well, when I did your job, uh, which they love to hear, right? Right, uh, And so I'm still applying tips uh, to something that I did 18 years ago. And I think in our business, one of the nice things is that hasn't changed in 18 years, right? Mm-hmm. So you look at Dodd-Frank that came out or the CFPB, we're still regulated by laws from 1977. Right. And so a lot of it, maybe client standards have uh, heightened or what the CFPB is looking for is heightened. But in general, if you just do the right thing right, and you treat the consumer with respect, um, you try to make the client whole in what they're owed, you don't have an issue. Right. You know, I remember you said earlier that you kind of have three guiding principles. Now, those are guiding principles for the firm, I think, or yourself or both. It was do the right thing, tell the truth and give back. Correct. So is that for the firm and you personally or? Just the firm or? Well, I think it's know. for both of us. Yeah. Right? So really, when we bought the firm, we came up with those as our three values of the company. And so as we look at it, um, do the right thing is I speak to every brand new employee, regardless of where they are at with us in the country. And I do that after they've been with us 30 days. And my main message to them is you're going to make a mistake. 
regardless of what you believe in, I personally believe in God, uh, you have one in 400 trillion chance of being born, right? <laughs> so God wanted you here. Right. Why did God want you here? Right. And then unfortunately, God didn't make you perfect. And so because you're not a perfect human being, you're going to make a mistake. And when you make that mistake, do the right thing. Let us know. And then I give them a bunch of examples in our industry where people didn't do the right thing and they paid heavily for it. So as an example, there was a firm in Colorado. Um, they were practicing down in New Mexico and they sued the wrong consumer, ended up taking a judgment uh, against this wrong consumer and then filed the garnishment. And that case went to a jury trial and the jury awarded the consumer $1 million. Mm -hmm. And I explained to our staff, when you have jury verdicts for those types of numbers, that obviously impacts the business tremendously. And you look at all the steps between issuing uh, the validation notice to the consumer through issuing a garnishment, there was clearly multiple opportunities to correct the situation but either somebody was too afraid in that firm right. to say something, uh, they had a culture of yelling at people, or they were punished for showing forward a mistake. Right. And we want to make sure that they know we expect them to make mistakes. Right. But when it happens, just tell us and we'll fix it. Right. You know, it's a different conversation if this is the same mistake the third time or fourth time. Right. But when it's the first time, yeah, it's going to happen. Right. It's part of their development. Yes. Tell the truth really came from Manny Newberger. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, I know Manny. Yeah. It's one of Manny's rules. Right. Right. Uh, so I've had the fortune of knowing Manny since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So as a kid, uh, my dad's been involved in the commercial law league for over 40 years. He's right. As president. Uh, our summer vacations were at the uh, national conventions. And so I got to know Manny when I was probably as high as his knee. Right. And uh, early on, he was one of my mentors. And really, Manny is all about telling the truth. So whether you're talking to a consumer, consumer's attorney, as long as you're doing that, you, you have nothing to worry about. Right. Uh, and so we really make sure that, obviously, the company, as well as my children, know the value in telling the truth. Okay, let's fast forward now to 2009. That was a very important uh, milestone in the life of Bill Sturm. You bought out your father's interest at a time of economic crisis. Uh, you know, it was a financial meltdown that we all know led to a restructuring of this industry. So how did it affect your firm and how did it affect you personally that year? So 2009 was an interesting year. I mean, through 2008, uh, Greg Enerson, uh, Julie Rausch and I um, were lining up financing in order to uh, buy my dad and his partner out. We thought we had lined it up. And of course, the financial meltdown comes and the financing goes with it. So part of working with your father, they always say, you know, you get this great deal. Dad's going to cut you in. Uh, he was given the firm. He gave you a break, right? He yeah. gave you a discount on the price, the valuation. Yeah. The, the discount my dad gave me was 10 times even. <laughs> that, that's what we paid for the firm. 10 times even. That's quite a valuation. It, it was. It was. And of course, they held the cards in it uh, because they had the opportunity to say, no, I'm not selling. Uh, so when he was tough. He was very tough. I have four sisters and my sisters, I think they have this impression that I got this great deal. Uh -huh. And I don't know any companies uh, for the EBITDA we were at that trade at 10 times. 10 times. That's crazy. I mean, was he joking? 
Yeah. Oh, you really had to pay? Yeah. Wow. We've paid 10 times. Whoa. Uh, and so... Did he give you a note to cover that? or <laughs> He did. Oh, okay. He did. Um, but as, as obviously we purchased it, uh, financial meltdown occurs, charge-offs, what, they were... On average, through the U.S., we're at three and a half. I think they were close to 11%, so the volume is flowing in. And in our business as a collection law firm, your expenses are all up front. And so you have to staff your firm in order to handle those validation notices going out. Uh, obviously, you got to hire additional attorneys to review the accounts per suit, uh, follow through uh, with that suit. So our expenses went through the roof. And right after we bought it, our CFO was coming into Greg Ederson and myself's office saying, we don't have enough money to make payroll. We're like, wait, what? We just bought the company. Yeah. What and, happened? And so I heard it for, I think it was the next three months in a row. And finally I called my dad. I'm like, dad, what is going on? I, every month they're telling me we don't have enough money to uh, pay payroll. What's the story? And he's like, oh, Bill. They don't know how to play poker. As you become a business owner, you'll understand stuff's going to happen. Right. And as stuff's going to happen, you're going to have to deal with it. So in this case, if it's a cash flow issue because you're expanding your payroll in order to handle all this additional um, volume coming through, obviously, sometimes owners don't get paid, as an example. Just like when you're a kid, (laughs) you can get paid. (laughs) So that was my first intro in terms of owners are last. Employees are first. Yep. yep. And, and that was his first lesson uh, to me as being a business owner. Right. That it's more about the business than it is about you. So you report to the employees, I guess, kind of. Even though they don't see it. Yeah. You really care about You have to support them. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, who's going to work for you if you don't? Right. Right. Wow. So you survived. Did you, I mean, during that period, were you really worried about failure? Or were you worried about uh, actually not keeping up with your dad and your mom's own principles? Your mother was saying, you got to have mental toughness, sort of toughness. Your dad said the same thing. I mean, how did, how did you mentally survive that period? Well, I'm, uh, my wedding anniversary is about to come up. Uh, I've been married 20 years and, you know, my wife, God bless her. I I think, uh, obviously, to have a spouse that supports you as owning a business, you're coming home, and she's kind of giving you these big eyes as you're starting to share (laughs) what's happening at the office. And um, her support, and obviously, uh, through Greg Anderson and Julie Rausch, uh, we went out, uh, hit the road, sold, and you got through it. And as you get through it, um, one of my new partners, Scott Lowry, whose partner is in the firm, as he likes to say, you get these lashes on your back of going through these events and you become tougher. You get that thicker skin. Right, right. So you learn from the mistakes, you learn from the adversity. Um, so 10 years later, you know, you've probably seen kind of more changes than than many of us could have imagined, like the Dodd-Frank law, the creation of CFPB. So as a result of that, how have you had to change your operations? How have the regulations affected both your strategy as well as your processes? Well, uh, so going back to, I think it was 2010, 2011, we had one of the top uh, credit card issuers come to their top 10 law firms. And they got us all on a call and they said, we want you to be ISO 27001 certified. (laughs) 
and, and yeah. every and they said we all said okay uh and they said we want you to do it in six months so everybody hung up from that call ran off and looked up what the heck iso 27001 is and everybody figured it out went back to the client and said look there's no way we can do it in six months um and they said oh, understand you can go a little longer but we want you to be at least compliant so we took the next two years. In order to be ISO 27001, you actually have to document every single process at the firm, uh, put a risk rating to it, and then based off of that risk rating, have a measure to make sure your process is effective. So we did this 2010-2011. Uh, the standard is actually governed by the British Standard Institute. And so as Dodd-Frank came out, we were lucky because a lot of what the CFPB was looking for is... Uh, as they looked at our clients as vendor management to make sure that even though whatever bank hired us, those consumers are being protected in our firm. Luckily, we had all of those policies and procedures documented with risk ratings, with measures. And so uh, we welcomed it. I mean, again, our laws are from 1977. The CFPB has this notice of proposed rulemaking out. We're really hoping these laws come into effect because It'll be easier, in my opinion, to communicate with the consumer, which is what we want to do. Mm -hmm. And the laws that we have today don't allow us to engage them the way the consumer wants to be engaged. So how do you get around that? Uh, today, it's asking the consumer. So, okay. So, for example, I can't email a consumer unless they give me their express consent to email them, Okay. which is how the world today wants to communicate. And so we're excited uh, about these rules. I, there's a lot of good people in this industry. I think everybody wants to follow the rules. There's some bad actors, but I would call those guys felons. They're going to break the law regardless of what the rules are. And I think the core of this industry just wants to understand what uh, the CFPB would like. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll all follow it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, welcome it. How, how did uh, all these changes, especially in regulation, affect your profitability? Uh, so for us in the industry, uh, 2012 was a very good year uh, because we had all of those accounts in-house from 2009, 2010. And then in 2013, banks stopped writing loans because of all of the charge-offs they had just taken over the prior years. Right. And then you had Dodd-Frank come out where nobody knew what these new rules were going to be. So they just plain old stopped. So 2013, 14, it, it was very dry in our industry. Uh, I know. Yeah, I heard uh, one gentleman uh, who's been in the industry a long time call it the uh, dark ages. Uh, and then, of, of course, obviously, as people started to understand what the CFPB was looking for and banks started writing loans again, um, we're excited about the future. Very great tale. Very great tale, Bill. So looking forward uh, in 2020, what, what's your plan for the firm and what's your vision going forward? So for us, uh, as I just said, we're really excited about the uh, CFPB's proposed rules. We think being able to meet the consumer where they want to be met is goal number one. So if the consumer wants to communicate with us electronically, we're excited about being able to offer that to them. Uh, so as we look at 2020 and 2021, is being able to make sure that we're technology uh, there with the consumer in offering the channels in which they're asking for. In terms of the firm, we'll continue to expand our footprint. Uh, we have clients that constantly ask us to go into additional states, uh, which we're excited to do. 
So if everybody, though, has these same rules, and everyone does in this industry, how do you differentiate Roush Sturm uh, in this environment when you're, you're kind of, you're, you're at behavior, there's a framework and you have to stick within that framework. So how do you show the market that you're different? So I think for us, it's always been uh, the ability to invest before the clients ask us to invest. So as an example, we had a compliance department before a single client asked us about having a compliance department. Okay. Uh, in fact, in 2019, uh, we invested another $2 million just into our compliance department in uh, additional software, uh, additional positions in order to make sure, uh, as we call it, compliance is table stakes. You either have it or if you don't, and if you don't have it, you're going to be out of business, period. And so for us, we'll continue to invest, whether it's into people, technology. I'm a big fan of um, BI. Uh, I also am very interested in some of the behavior modeling that's out there. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of us rely upon scores in order to understand the consumer situation. And I think with AI and the, be able, the ability to start to model the consumer's behavior uh, is very exciting. Great. Wrapping it up here, though, what? What's your outlook now uh, for Roush Sturm in this new strategic alliance that you've created with Galaxy Asset Management? They're both a debt buyer and a master servicer. So how does that fit into the Roush Sturm strategy going forward? Well, I think one of the, the biggest issues as a collection law firm is the variability of your placements. So every month, our placements can fluctuate as high as 30%. And so for us, that makes uh, staffing a very difficult job because at what level do you actually staff for? And so with this alliance that we have with Galaxy, it's a way of flattening out our placements every month. Uh, so that, of course, allows us to provide better service to our clients and making sure that we're staffed for those higher watermarks as the files come through. The last question I, I always like to ask uh, our guests here What's on your nightstand? What's one of the favorite books you've read recently? Oh, gosh. So uh, this is one of the things my father taught me. My father is a huge reader. So his idea of a uh, good vacation was uh, anywhere around a pool and a book. And so I'm an avid reader. So I love Boys in the Boat. Uh, that was story. a great story, yeah. Um, I've recently... All about teamwork. Yeah, yeah. About teamwork. It's a rowing team uh, that went through a bunch of adversity right. getting to the Olympics. Renee Brown, uh, a phenomenal professor. I haven't read I read that book yet, but I have it. Yeah. Okay. What's the lesson there? Being vulnerable. Uh, so my partner, Scott Lowry, is incredibly good at this. And, and being vulnerable, whether it's with your spouse, with your partner, with your employees, and the closeness that you can build by sharing what's really going on. That's what vulnerability means in, in right. your life, sharing what's going on with your friends, your parents, or your family, and I guess your customers too. And not being worried about the judgment they have mm -hmm. as you share that with mm -hmm. That's tough. It's, it's very tough. Uh, mindset by Carol Dweck. Phenomenal book about a growth mindset, uh -huh. a fixed mindset. Okay. And, and for me, uh, I've always been a big learner. I foolishly thought after college, education was done. And today, it's whether it's a podcast or a book, I'm always trying to enhance myself. Your education just began when it finished. <laughs> That's the sure. formal one finished. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bill, for these wonderful stories about your life, your business, 
the lessons learned from your dad. Uh, you had a great mentor with him, and his principles obviously have guided you through some of the good times and bad and set the stage, I guess, for the future also for Ralph Sturm. Um, but for the last decade, you know, you've accomplished some great milestones at your firm, and we look forward to hearing about the next years together, especially with your new strategic alliance with Galaxy. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining Michael Flock and his guests on the Capital Club Radio Show. For more information on future interviews, please visit us at flockfinance.com. This program is brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance, where clients are provided knowledge and insights to help them grow their business in complex and risky markets. Flock is more than a transaction.